Welcome to Something Came From Baltimore. I am your host, Tom Gauker, and in this episode, we chat with Toma Fujiwara. He is a masterful drummer who worked with John Zorn, Mary Halverson, and is the leader of the Toma Fujiwara Trio, Double Triple, and he's one-third member of Thumbscrew. Thumbscrew is Toma Fujiwara in drums, Michael Formanek in double bass, and Mary Halverson on guitar. Never is Enough is their new recording. It will be released to the public on February 26, 2021. In this episode, we will chat with Toma, and we will review the tracks from the album. And I will have a come-to-Jesus moment where I have to admit that I have a Mary Halverson fan crush. It's a little embarrassing, but there's nothing I can do about it. Before we get into the interview, let's listen to Camp Easy. Welcome to Something Came From Baltimore. Thanks for having me. Great. Thank you. Hey, how are you doing in New York uh, with this COVID? Are you actively working or did you take a break or what happened to you during this time period? Well, I would say both. You know, certain things are, you know, on hold or not at live performance opportunities. I've certainly kept busy practicing, writing, working on uh, the later stages of a few albums. And then during this period, Thumbscrew released an album of Braxton pieces. We have this upcoming album that should be out, that will be out next month. Recording of John Zorn's Bagatelles with the Mary Halverson Quartet, mixing a new triple double album. So I've been working on that stuff and then have also done some live stream performances. So kind of the answer to your question is kind of both. We missed, you know, performing for a live audience, you know, found ways to still come together in certain ways and play music and hopefully get that music heard and seen by people that are interested. John Zorn. How is it like working with him? And I, I guess you have a more of a, a, a connection with him. You've worked with him in the past. Yeah, he wrote, I think it's over 300 compositions that he called the Bagatelles. And then he got quite a number of ensembles to, you know, first perform them 
uh, Nice Bagatelle marathons that were happening where it was happening at various venues where sometimes dozens of bands would perform anywhere from solos to quintets, all different types of instrumentation and types of styles and genres. And then he had a, some of the ensembles record uh, the bagatelles that they had been performing. And so the first box set, I believe, just came out this month. And so this, this group, the Mary Halverson Quartet, that has been playing uh, these bagatelles for a few years now, uh, recorded recorded some pieces. Uh, I love working with him. A few things. I mean, I love the music. Obviously, that's the most important. I just really appreciate his enthusiasm and his positivity and his communication. I appreciate that he's very clear about what he wants. It's really fun to work with him because, you know, there there's a great balance be- between kind of the individual agency of each of the players as you know interpreters of the music and as improvisers and also him as as the composer and kind of the the leader of all these groups that's that's that are performing the bagatelle so it's it's been great i've really loved it i need you to be my therapist at this point i wanted you to bring up john zorn first before I talk into the project. Hopefully you understand where I'm coming from here. Before I had this interview, I actually talked to friends about it and they understand what I'm saying. I hooked into your work with Code Girl. That's where I started. When I look at Mary uh, Halverson, I look at her as like a pure artist. And this is my mind, so it might not be in the real world. But when we categorize people like John Cage, John Zorn, Philip Glass, and even uh, Anthony Braxton, I put them on a pedestal where I don't look at them as real people, but I look at their life as art. Like, oh my God, she's at the food court. That's she's making art or she's sitting down eating a cheeseburger. Oh my God, that's art. There's a word for this. And that was the thing is like, what is the word where someone, it's not a deity. It's not a sycophant. There's a word where you look at someone as that they're creating art of all time. (laughs) And, and they're not humanized. Like I would be, I'd be freaked out to ask John Zorn a question. I just want to know, like, how does he live? How does he live on this earth? And I, I know that you you see them as people, but mm-hmm. this is a fan thing that I have. And I have no idea. Is this a psycho fan? What What is this word? <laughs> <laughs> I, I won't touch that exact question of what that is, but but I, I think I understand at least part of, of what you're saying. I think... F- you know, for me, the humanity of these, you know, artists and people that you talk about is I can't separate the two. You know, my interaction with them as as people contributes to their their greatness as artists. You know, to me, it doesn't happen kind of separate from getting a burger at the food court. <laughs> You're interwoven into their lifestyle. So the demystification, I mean, who they are has dissipated. Like you worked with Mary forever. And she's your friend. But to me, she's like, oh my God, like everything that she does, what she wears, how she strums her guitar, it's art. Well, I, you know, I would agree with that. Yeah, I can, I can interact on a very kind of human and everyday existence with these people and also be, admire what they do or be a fan or, I know what you mean by the feeling, but, but it's, um, yeah, to me, it's all it's all part of the same thing. I think it, what you're saying is I'm in the I'm in the mix. I, I'm on the inside. I don't I don't see you as you know I don't I don't see it your way because I'm a, a part of the the team. I'm I'm a player. 
Now, let me ask you, if when you go to concerts, do you look out in the audience and do you see people, people staring at her? Like, oh my God, what's she doing now? Like, what's she doing now? I mean, do you feel that that glow in their face that they look at her, more of that uh, admiration also? Yeah, I mean, you know, people have their super fans. So there's definitely, you know, having played with her so much over the years and toured all over the place, you know, there's there's always those super fans where it's, you know, a little bit outside just the music and, and whether it's like, oh, what's what's that pedal? And how do you, you know, whether it's the gear freaks or, <laughs> yeah, you know, or the super fans, sure. A number of people that I play with, you can kind of see that. I would have a tough time interviewing Philip Glass. I would love to. What comes out of his mind and the music that's being created is something that I get to listen to, but I would have never thought to make. So it's it's out of, outside the realm of, or, or what I've used to. So it's a challenge. And that challenge is, is very intense. And then it becomes more than just listening to music. It's a challenge of accepting the music and decoding what feels good and maybe what they're trying to get across or how does it feel to me? Like I've listened to some of the songs on this album and I can tell you what they mean to me. And obviously they're different than what they actually are. It feels to me that this type of music is more of a roller coaster, more interesting because I get to use my full brain to kind of dissect what it is. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, the music probably asks the, the listener to be a little more involved and a little more engaged. You know, it's not, it's not background music and it's not, uh, you know, just kind of incidental music to, to not pay attention to. You know, we're very engaged in making it. We're very engaged with the listener when we present it. You know, there's a certain relationship with the listener and I guess kind of an asking of, of an engaged listen, not to love everything or think that everything's the best thing ever, but to kind of engage with it, you know, allow for the kind of totality of the experience beyond just, I like this, I don't like this. That's cool. That's weird, <laughs> you know. And I know for myself, I know if I'm writing music, if I'm writing a composition, yeah, I know what it's about, but I'm, I'm not trying to overly impress upon the listener to hear it my way or see it my way. I want them to, you know, absorb it, but filter it through their own personal experiences and, and their own, you know, emotions. And I think kind of getting back to your early point with some of these, these artists that we really admire, you know, I think a big part of it is, is they found a very creative way to tap into their personal stories and their personal outlook on things, their per personal connection to the world around them and have found this really, um, and a lot of times very pure way to kind of put that out there in in this case uh in music i think going forward like for a, a week you should stare like you know mary inside now you've known her for years but you should stare at her like like i would and say oh my god you're eating that cheeseburger like it's art or you're you're you're, you're swiping your brow like it's like make her nervous <laughs> really really scare really scare her <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, probably. I, I definitely won't be doing that, but. <laughs> uh, yeah, it would be funny. Your therapy session is over. Thank you very much. <laughs> Let's get into this album. Talk about billing. The, some of the songs that we're going to go through, the heart drop, in my opinion, it would be the most commercial of those songs. All these songs like start and take off. And I think this is the only one on the album where it starts and ends at the same place. It, it kind of a... Um, like a sleepy hollow of WXPN, where it would be a great morning piece. Mary Halverson wrote that one. It's a it's a beautiful ballad with some cool 
you know, obviously a great, a great melody and some cool, you know, subtle harmonic and rhythmic shifts. And, and we do improvise it uh, on it in somewhat or of one of the jazz traditions, you know, over the form. So yeah, that, that makes sense in terms of quote unquote standard jazz form. We kind of uh, interpret it in very much that way in terms of the composition yeah, it, it really feels like her her version of a, of a great jazz standard, for lack of a better way to describe <laughs> it. Yeah, we are going to listen to a sample of that song. next song is sequel to sadness i just closed my eyes and i felt that all you needed was dave thomas from pro ubu to do vocals on top of this and you got yourself a great song (laughs) um yeah it's another one that that mary wrote sometimes people have asked if we write the music together you know what the process is we we really show up to rehearse or in this case to these to this residency with the compositions pretty much written i should say 90 99 percent written and so you know now we that we've been a band for 10 years not a lot needs to be said so we bring in the music and we just play through we play through the the written material sometimes we ask a couple you know questions of clarity from whoever composed the piece if there's something that is working really well that the composer wants to make sure we kind of keep arrangement wise we might say that or if something that's not quite working but for the most part we're just we just play it you know we play it and and in terms of the improvising they might be you know over a, a pretty close form form like heart drop or a little more open or totally open um you know with kind of material to transition um, back to other sections and um and then we just let it fly. And uh, yeah, Sequel to Sadness is, is one of those where we got the music and we you know, played it. We just kind of played it every day and 
during the residency and then recorded it. And it's another one that's, you know, it's, it's really fun to play. And with the improvising, you know, kind of goes to different places depending on the day. And that's kind of, you know, as Thumbscrew, that's something that we, we love to do. Never Is Enough is the name of the album. It's also a song. There may be more to the words Never Is Enough, but in my opinion, this is a, a smoking rock song where it starts to build up and it starts to feel uh, like very, like almost metal. Yeah, especially in that last part. Yeah, this yeah. one, uh, Michael Formanek wrote, We this is the, the first album that he played uh, electric bass on. So that adds another, you know, sonic dimension to the group. And so I'm sure that he wrote this very much thinking about the electric in the context of Thumbscrew and kind of, you know, the sound we've developed over the years. And um, in terms of the title, you'd have to ask him. But, but again, you know, something that we've been discussing, I like that everyone can kind of, it's a very evocative title and you can go a lot of places with it. So it's, um, I'm sure he knows specifically what he was thinking about and inspired by to come up with that title but i also like the fact that it's open-ended enough that it can mean different things to different people yeah it does kind of have mysterious build that goes in in many different places before this big explosion you know right towards the end which yeah. is cool it has, it has a nice it has a really cool shape to it you know the way he wrote it and at the same time the shape can very much change from from uh performance to performance
emojis have consequence in the last four <laughs> minutes. You have a really awesome drum solo in there. And that's what I want to focus on. I love the title also. Yeah. Do they have consequences? Does emojis have a consequences? First of all, that's that's another Michael Formanek tune. So he would have to, you know, clarify if he wanted to the exact meaning for it. But again, we can all kind of take it how we want to take it. Um, yeah, I, I would agree that they have consequences. I mean, they're so used. I might argue overused at this point, you know, in the place of typed text language, much less uh, actually speaking to people. Seems like there's layers and layers of, of uh, do's and don'ts when it comes to emojis. So I think they do have consequences. We're going to end the music samples with uh, Scams Likely. And at the end of the track, I wrote down, it's like a psychotic break. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it just seems like it was really intense. Again, another one that, that Michael Formanek wrote, uh, thinking about the electric in the context of this group. And you know, I think with this one, there's, there's so many kind of wide open spaces to really shape the mood and uh fun to work on and try uh, any number of things and kind of i don't know i'm not even going to name it but to create the vibe <laughs> that you hear and, and yeah. that you know takes you wherever it takes you
the band is called Thumbscrew. The album is called Never's Enough. It has a release date of February 26, 2021, and it's on the Cuneiform Records, which is actually based in Maryland. It's in Silver Springs. Thank you very much for talking to me today on Something Came From Baltimore. Thanks for having me. Something came from Baltimore. Something came from Baltimore. Something came from Baltimore, the podcast, is now Something Came From Baltimore, the radio show. Check us out every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where we chat with artists like Gogo Penguin, Paula Cole, Al Damola, and Kat Edmondson. Be a part of that Be More music scene, now exclusively on TheBox.com. If you're here, you're far from square.